If somebody didn't say it to you already, welcome. You're very welcome. We appreciate you taking time to join with us in worship. Um, I have a particular message I preached in, not a message message, this is a message message, as opposed to a message. I don't know if that makes any sense. It doesn't. I have an announcement from Pastor Chris' message that's different from a Word of God message. You understand. I preached in Sherwood this morning, and as I was leaving, he said, could I be sure to tell everybody he sends his love? Ah. Oh. <laughs> so Pastor Chris wants you all to know he sends his love, and um, I'm just going to tell him you all send it back. Um, because if you come to tell me, tell him, I won't remember everybody who said to tell him, and so it's easier just to say, everybody sends their love, Chris. Please don't make me a liar. <laughs> Send him some love. It's a privilege to be with you and to be able to share the word of God with you, and I want to read some verses from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to begin reading from verse 26. Romans 8 and verse 26. Well, the Apostle Paul writes in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for us in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called and those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died 
more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. I want to talk to you for a little while this evening about accusers and intercessors. Accusers and intercessors. Here in the midst of an amazing chapter of Romans, Paul makes the statement in verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? There's a sense in which that seems more than enough to say, doesn't it? If God be for us, who can be against us? If the creator of the heavens and the earth, the omnipotent, eternal God, without beginning of days or end of years, if the all-knowing God is for you, who can be against you? When Paul writes it, though, he begins with the, the word if. If God be for us. There's some of us who at times have a question in our minds, is God really for me? Is God for me? And that question that arises in our own minds is challenged for those of you who've committed your lives to Christ, which is, I know, very many of you in this room. You're challenged by the voice of an accuser who wants to tell you God is not for you. So the passage goes on to ask, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Well, you know, if you've been a Christian a little while, all sorts of people bring charge against you. There are all sorts of voices that might raise themselves in accusation against you. But primarily, we know from Revelation 12 and verse 10, that one of the primary descriptions of our adversary, the devil, the enemy of your soul, is he is described as the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night before God. You have an enemy to your soul who is committed. Listen, let me say this to you as clear as I can. Whoever you are in this room tonight, whether or not you've surrendered your life to Christ or not, you have an enemy of your soul. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you might think, but I haven't taken sides. I want to tell you, there is an enemy of your soul who is committed to your destruction, whose purpose is to kill, to steal, to destroy. He wants everything that is opposed to the purpose of God. The accuser of the brethren accuses us before God day and night. He's always looking to find fault. 
to make accusation, to pull you down, to undermine your confidence and trust in God. As we're worshiping together, Stuart has focused our mind in those last few moments on trusting in Him. I will trust Him. Stuart singing out over us, I will trust Him. There's a challenge to trusting God. There is an accuser whose voice rises up to try to undermine your faith, your confidence in the character of God, who speaks ill of God, who speaks ill of you, who makes all sorts of challenges to you. And sometimes that's joined by the voices of others. Call yourself a Christian. But very often, for some of you, the greatest accusing voice comes from in here. Because you know yourself very well. You're very familiar with your own shortcomings. Some of you think, if only everyone else sitting around me knew what I was really like, they wouldn't want to sit here and worship with me. They wouldn't really want to know me. And a voice of accusation arises from within. And Paul writes, conscious of that accusation about those who would bring a charge against those whom God has chosen, the accusers. He says, if God before us who can be against us let me say some things particularly from that context about how you know God is for you they're spelled out in what we read together it says for those God foreknew he also did predestine that we might be conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified and those he justified he also glorified there are four particular reasons there why you should know God is for you those he foreknew he predestined that you would be conformed into the image of his son Jesus Christ a simple way of defining that word predestined is that God predetermined the destiny that He was taking you to. What is God's destiny for your life? God's destiny for your life is that you would be made into the image and the likeness of His Son Jesus. 
So often the way the gospel has been communicated or the way that we talk about our salvation is diminished beyond what God purposed to do. God determined that He was going to conform you into the image and the likeness of His Son. We're conscious of the fact that He's forgiven our sins. That He's wiped the slate clean. That we're no longer standing under the condemnation of eternal judgment. That we're going one day to go to heaven. But in saving you, God did much more than forgiving your past. He did much more than saving you from hell. He did much more than preparing a place for you to spend eternity with Him. He determined that what He would do in your life is to take your humanity and conform you into the image and the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is absolutely staggering. It is so amazing that Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He thinks about the most glorious occasion there ever was in Israel's history. When God came down on Mount Sinai, the glory of God covered the mountain for 40 days. Moses, who sat in the presence of God, when he came out of it, his face was reflecting the glory of God. He had to put a veil over his face so that others weren't overcome by the reflected glory. And Moses had this glory, though after a period of time, it faded away. Paul writes about that and he says, if the ministry that brought death was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry of the Spirit? He says, in fact, that which was glorious has no glory now compared to the surpassing glory. Because here's how he describes it. We all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another as by the Spirit of God. Compared with what happened on a mountain at Sinai, the most glorious moment of Israel's history, it has no glory compared with what God is doing in your life. Because you, the dust of the earth, and that's what he began with. He took the dust of the earth, he formed it, molded it with his own hands, and then breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils. Man became a living being. God is conforming us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Marty is being made to be like Jesus. He's not just changing his character. He's being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That's God's destiny for him. 
God's destiny is that one day he will be presented complete, perfect, conformed into the image and likeness of Christ. When he sees him, he will be like him. That's staggering. How do I know God is for me? He predestined me to be conformed into the image of his son. And those he predestined, he also called. There are very many of you in this room tonight conscious of the fact there was a time when you heard the call of God on your life. For many of you, you were running away from God. You had no interest in God. You had no interest in the things of God. But you heard God calling to you. For some of you, that happened many years ago. But for some of you, in a life of absolute rebellion against Him, the voice of God called. Why? Because He had predestined you for a purpose to make you into the image and likeness of His Son. So He went looking for you. He didn't wait for you to come to Him. He didn't wait for you to come and find Him. He went looking for you. And when you were in a mess where you were lost without hope, he came looking for you. When you refused him again and again and again, he didn't give up. He kept calling. And here's this staggering thing about the call of God. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. For every one of you in this room who know God has called you to come to himself... You can be absolutely assured he's not going to give up on you. He's not going to abandon the purpose that he called you to. He's not going to think one day, I wish I hadn't bothered. He's not going to think one day, you're too much of an effort. You're too much trouble for me. That's more work than I can possibly manage. When God called you, he understood exactly where he would take you from and where he would take you to. He had predestined what he was going to do, but he made an effective call into your life. And if he's called you, you know he's going to walk alongside you. He's going to enable you. He's going to be with you. Those he called, he also justified. I stand before you tonight as far more than a forgiven sinner. I am a sinner saved by grace. I am a forgiven sinner. But I am justified freely by His grace. That means I have been clothed with the righteousness of God in Christ. God didn't just forgive me. He made me righteous. He's made me righteous. We are the righteousness of God. Romans 5 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God I have peace with God honestly it really doesn't matter to me in light of the fact that I am at peace with God it doesn't matter who's against me I have peace with God when I put my head on the pillow tonight I will go to sleep because me and God are at peace peace 
because He has justified me. I am at peace with Him. That's the position that you're in tonight if you're a child of God. If you have no peace in your life, if you're sitting here, you know you've heard the call of God at times. You've heard the voice of God calling for you to come to Him. And as yet you've resisted, I want to tell you one of the most phenomenal things that will happen to you is you will find peace with God. It is a peace that is beyond human understanding. It is utterly life-transforming. Those He justified... He also glorified. We think that's something that's just about the future somewhere. Apparently, for Paul, he didn't think it was. He's already raised you up together with Christ and seated you with him in heavenly places. Because he's the head of the body, You're in Him and all that's accomplished in Him is accomplished in you. He has raised you up together with Christ. But let me go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 for a moment. This transformation isn't simply a a huge effort on your part. A struggle to do better. Whatever you're doing in your life to live obediently, to stand against sin, to seek to go forward in Christ, the Spirit is working in you, transforming you from one degree of glory to another. It's a An incredible thing. If God be for us, how would I know that God is for us? I know that God is for me because he predestined me. Because he called me. Because he justified me and has glorified me. So let me come back to my point. Accusers and intercessors. There is an accuser of the brethren who accuses us before God day and night. There are others who join their voice to His to bring charges against those whom God has chosen. And some of you at times may have felt the pressure of those accusations For some of you, the pressure's never been greater than the accusations that arise in your own heart about your standing before Him. But whoever's making accusation, I want you to know tonight, where we started reading tells you about an intercessor In the same way, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Ever known what it was like to be in that position? 
with the weight of accusation arising in your own heart, the pressure the enemy's putting on you, the lies that he's throwing at you, and you don't know where to go. You don't know how to express yourself properly. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. That's amazing, isn't it? He can make sense of the groanings of the cries, of the agonizing of your heart. And he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit. For the Spirit intercedes for us in accordance with the will of God. Is that not amazing? That you have an intercessor who is interceding for you according to the will of God. The Spirit is praying the will of God into being in your life. You are not alone. You are not abandoned. In the midst of accusations, wherever they come from, the Spirit of God takes the groans, the cries, the agonizings of your heart, and He interprets those to Father in accordance with God's will. That's an incredible intercession. But that's a commitment that you have from God. God is for you and so the Spirit is praying the will of God into being in your life. You don't know what to pray. He knows exactly what to pray. But that's not the only intercessor that you have. Who shall bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? You could name them for you tonight. Satan condemns me. I condemn myself at times. And I've heard there's one or two others have done it as well. Who is he that condemns? Are there those who condemn you? Of course there are. But here's the truth. Christ Jesus who died. There's a pause there, isn't there? We've already been told, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not graciously along with Him give us all things? Christ Jesus who died, He died for me. He died in my place. How do I know God is for me? Christ Jesus died. 
The Son of God gave His life on behalf of yours so that you could be conformed into His image and likeness, so that He could seek and save that which was lost. He could call you to Himself so that He could justify and glorify you. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, Paul says, who was raised to life and is seated at the right hand of God. is interceding for us. Wow. (laughs) Christ Jesus who died for me, who was raised to life and has been seated at the right hand of God is interceding for us. Has anybody got your case tonight? Apparently Jesus has got your case. He's speaking to the Father on your behalf. He is your advocate. So whoever brings the accusation, whoever the prosecuting counsel is before the bar of God this evening, whoever's standing to bring a charge against you, Your counsel is Jesus Christ and he's interceding for you. So it really doesn't matter who's against you because the Spirit is praying the will of God into your life. Even through your groanings, and cries, agonized utterings that make no sense to anybody. And seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Accusers and intercessors. Accuser and intercessor. It's the primary difference between Jesus my enemy my enemy's an accuser Jesus is my intercessor he knows the worst there is to know about me and he is pleading my cause he's committed to my progress he fully intends that what he started will be completed And that nobody's able to stop it. Accuser or intercessor. Choose one. Choose one tonight that you want to imitate. Do you want to imitate the enemy of your soul who brings all sorts of accusations, railing accusations, charges, and seeks to condemn? Or do you want to imitate your Savior tonight who intercedes on your behalf?
Because there is something about us that seems to want to choose one or the other. I hear people's voices all the time. And it sounds to me that they're imitating the enemy of my soul. They're bringing accusation in one way and another. Finding fault. Condemning others. Criticizing where they're going and what's happening in their lives. Criticizing their commitment. Criticizing their hunger and thirst for the things of God. Criticizing decisions they're making in the direction that they're going in. Does that help? We talk out, sometimes apparently as an expression of concern, what actually is an accusation against other people. And I want to suggest to you tonight that knowing that you have the Spirit interceding for you, praying the will of God into your life, that's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, Jesus is interceding for you. I want to suggest to you the best thing that you could choose to do is imitate him and intercede for others. That you would choose not to be an accuser but an intercessor. What do I mean? Do you remember the occasion? It's recorded in Luke 22 and verse 32. Jesus is explaining to Simon, Satan has desired to sift him as wheat. He doesn't say, Simon, I don't know how you ever got into that situation where Satan wanted to sift you. He didn't say, I'm going to stop him from sifting you. He said, Simon, I want you to know I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. You know some people who are being sifted by the enemy. The best thing you can do isn't talk about them, not accuse them, not pontificate about how they got into that situation, but pray for them that their faith will not fail. And when they return... Wouldn't it be great that there were those tonight being shaken by the enemy who had a whole lot of brothers and sisters who were praying, Lord, when they return, help them to strengthen us. Jesus prayed. John 17, 13 and 15, he prayed for his disciples that they would be protected Protected in the world, protected from the evil one. Wouldn't it be fabulous knowing that we have an enemy who is committed to our destruction, seeking to destroy faith in us, seeking to pull down God before our eyes, that we would be praying for the protection of one another? In 1 John 5 and verse 16. John prays, John writes, he says, those of you who see a brother caught in a sin that does not lead to death. 
He says, I'm not talking about a sin that leads to death, but a sin that does not lead to death. He says, pray for them so that God will give them life. If you want a very simple interpretation of what we could make massively complicated in 1 John 5, 16, there were lots of sins that got you the death penalty. You were executed for them. They led to death. If you're still alive at the end of it, pray for them. What are we meant to be doing for people who are caught in sin? Praying that God would give them life. Wouldn't it be fabulous for people who are caught in sin tonight to know that there are those who are committed to them and praying for them that God would give them life? I'm going to close by reference to two scriptures. I would love you to remember them. I use them in this way this evening because they're easy to remember. It's Philippians 1, 9 to 11. And Colossians 1, 9 to 11. I want to turn your attention to those. I would love to ask you to pray those for one another in a commitment to intercede. Philippians 1, 9 to 11 says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. You ever heard people say a church is not very loving? That's like the voice of the accuser. Let's just condemn it. That doesn't help. But you could choose to say, I'm going to pray that your love would abound more and more. 